Welcome to Corporate Thought, the podcast where we talk about everything from food to family to music to the life of entrepreneurship and anything and everything else that makes life worth living. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Corporate Thought. I'm Mark Marling. Today on the show is part two of my special double episode with Daphna Horowitz. You may recall from last week that uh, Daphna interviewed me on her show, Leadership Live with Daphna Horowitz, where she took me through a coaching session. Uh, I was definitely a little uncomfortable. Uh, I've had several people uh, reference that they could almost feel my uh, discomfort in the beginning, but it was a great exercise, and I really enjoyed doing it and uh, I got a lot out of it. So uh, I flipped the tables a little bit and returned the favor by uh, getting Daphna to return to the show, and what follows is my interview with her, where we get to to know a little bit more about Daphna. So uh, sit back and enjoy this conversation. Daphna, welcome to Corporate Thought. Hi, Mark. Excited to be here. I, I am. I am glad to do this. Um, this is uh, this is going to be fun because this is a uh, a different kind of an episode because it's a continuation. Um, we got together and I recorded um, an episode on your show, which was uh, challenging to me, but <laughs> it was fun. But you did essentially a live coaching session with me as yours and then for my audience they heard that uh because uh i made sure that we that we publish uh your your show as well and then uh now they get a chance to to i guess turn the turn the the microphones around or something (laughs) sit on the opposite sides of the table Cool. Mark, I am wondering if it's worth just doing a little update. So just from your side, any developments or further thinking from our previous conversation? Sure. Well, I think the biggest takeaway, um, and there were lots of takeaways, but the, but the <laughs> biggest takeaway, the, the challenge that you left me with, if you will, was um, to go out and see how I can develop conversations differently online um, rather than accept or create a, uh, a narrative that they're not as real as if we were face to face, find a way to have those real conversations with new people, well, frankly, as you and I did, mm-hmm. uh, but to do that yeah. with uh, more regularity. Um, so on, in, a, in a virtual environment. Yeah. And so I have taken that advice and I have tried to have uh, more real and honest conversations and um, see where that takes me and those and those relationships. And how has that been going? Uh, so far, so good. I think we okay. need a little more time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been long, that. we have to admit. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's a start. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, and I appreciate good. that coming from you. Good, good. Well, I'm glad to hear because it sounds like you've taken it on and you're playing with it. And I think that's a big part of it is when you have a new insight or when you have a new a thought about a new way of doing things, start playing with it. Some things are going to work and some things aren't, but definitely just play. Yes. No, absolutely. So um, here we are. And 
so my audience has gotten to know you a little bit at least for what you do and though you know i am not a fan of starting any conversation so what do you do perfect. <laughs> they, they already have an inkling <laughs> exactly <laughs> but i want to know more about you know who you are and then we'll figure out how you got into what you're doing today but if you will um help us out a little bit um maybe we'll start and just talk about something that's going on in life but it's uh you know uh COVID seems to be coming back and I don't want this to be a conversation about COVID, but mm -hmm. I'm curious what you're doing. Um, and maybe you, I think you always see your, your clients, uh, online. So you, I think you already had told me your business hasn't changed because of COVID, but maybe what else has changed? What, what is, what's going on for you differently that you've, that you're doing this year? You know, are you binge watching something? <laughs> you, have, have you and Netflix become good friends? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I would be lying if I had to say no, definitely not. So maybe it is a good point to start the conversation because this year has been incredibly challenging. So while I have and I have always worked a lot online, that has definitely increased because I would see my, on my, my local clients face to face and I would travel. I would travel to see clients either one on one for a VIP day or to run workshops, you know, with their te the, the leadership teams in organizations. So there was more variety. And now I'm finding that I am sitting in front of a screen for a lot of the day, which is different for me and not so easy, I have to say. So maybe even a bit of a follow on from you from our conversation last time is that I like the variety. I do like to meet people face to face. And sometimes I, I, I call my office my cave because I can be in this office be, behind the computer screen the whole day. And that's my interaction. That's my work. So that is definitely one of the changes. Um, another change is for sure the ups and downs of business, which has been very unpredictable. So definitely some highs and high energy moments and then some lows, low energy moments where Netflix, Netflix becomes your, your best friend and you just uh, <laughs> dive in and enjoy. So I've actually just finished The Queen's Gambit and I thought it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you watched it. Uh, I, well, uh, I was watching it um, with my daughters and I think I started the first episode and what often help happens to me is I fall asleep on the couch watching something. So does that uh, happen to you? <laughs> no, I need to go back. That one. They said it's good. Um, I need to go back and uh, and uh, rewatch it. So then yeah. uh, we can. I try to find shows every once in a while that I can watch with them. Um, yeah. And so that was one that we said we were going to watch together, but didn't happen so far. <laughs> Yeah. So there was, I don't know if you saw, but there was a thing going around on social media about how Netflix has such an impact beyond any marketing exercise, because now the purchase of set chess sets and the interest or the Googling of how to play chess and all of that has now skyrocketed beyond anything that anyone could have done with adverts and you know regular channels so i think uh, that's fascinating yeah and i did hear that in fact that 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 chess sets are one of the hot like uh <laughs> holiday season items this year or something i mean that's it's uh it's big for sure yeah. very interesting so, so here's an interesting fact 
um, because I come from my original um, career was very mathematically and scientifically orientated. So I was an actuary. I don't know if we mentioned it in the last conversation. No, I, I want to get into that. So you are. Uh, so, so you're. You, this is funny. You are. Let's say one, two, maybe the third guest on my show who have, who has mentioned actuaries. Uh, <laughs> really? Uh, yes, which is really uh, a little unusual. unusual. Yeah, and I, <laughs> but I do think that you are the first one who has told me that they have actually pursued a career in it. I had a dentist who told me that he was either going to be a dentist or an actuary, and how uh -huh. he studied to be an actuary before he changed modes and became a dentist, and then. Then I had a, and then I had a, a, a mathematician who came on and talked uh, at length about um, about actuaries and how he applies things of that in in what he does. But you're my first you're my first ah, actuary. Although you're not I love being the first. Yeah, I don't work. I don't work as an actor anymore. Okay. <laughs> but I worked very hard for the qualification, so I still put it there. It is, I, you know, I am a quite fully qualified, trained, and have worked as an actuary. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that for a second. So um, you're a coach today, and I think everyone's got that down. So we'll, and we'll talk about that later. But so. You were an actuary, so uh, very different, it seems to me. But tell me, tell me how that came about. Was that like a was there was that like something that you wanted to pursue early, or you just found your way there? Tell me. So yeah, I think that's a good story as well because I, I am from from early childhood. I think I just loved asking questions, getting to the root cause of issues. Problem solving was very much my thing, and then being a you know a woman growing up still in a world where my parents were incredibly egalitarian in terms of offering equal opportunities. I've got a brother and a sister and we were all treated the same. We had academic potential. So they really pushed us to achieve to the best of our ability. And uh, being a woman in a world that was not quite as open as it is today and there's still a way to go. I love taking on any challenge that if someone would pose me with a challenge of you can't do this because you're a girl or you can't do this because you're a woman, I would go, well, that's what I'm, what I'm going to do. So coupled with an absolute love for maths and problem solving, it seemed like a great fit. Started to look around. It was a very little known profession at the time, certainly not for women. And um, I started to ask around and, and when it was time to choose a career, with my love of maths, I wanted to speak to actuaries and I spoke to a few male actuaries in South Africa at the time and they all said to me, listen, you're a woman, it's not for you, you're going to get married, you're going to have children, it's too hard, the road is very hard, there are a lot of exams you've got to get through, it's very challenging, so, so go look for something else. And having that <laughs> statement was all I needed to hear to go, well, I'm going to do it. And when I was studying at university, I was kind of one of five in my class at the time. And when I qualified, I was one of five women actuaries in South Africa at the time. And they were probably quite a small profession anyway. But at that time, maybe 120 to 150 actuaries and we were only five women. So that was a really, you know, a, a feather in my cap, something I was very proud of having achieved. I, I... And I was going to say connecting to the Queen's Gambit that because I have a mathematical brain, people all always assume that I love playing chess and I actually really do not like playing chess and the Queen's Gambit didn't 
churn up any juices in that in that way at all. So. <laughs> but you actually, uh, but you at the same time did learn to play chess. I mean, you, I you did actually, learn to you, play you chess. You know it. So, okay. <laughs> so that is that something that, that that actuaries and chess have to go hand in hand? I don't know. I think it's kind of something that people associate, you know, with you know maybe people who are who have that way of thinking, mathematically inclined or, or a logical reasoning type of approach. But I'll tell you what I've always found that worked for me and why I enjoyed uh, actuarial science in terms of the studies so much is that it's a very uh, logical kind of field. So if I understood why a certain problem was in place, I could also really very quickly get to a solution for it. And, and I understood all the processes and formulae and mechanisms and models that we create as actuaries. For me, chess was much more when you had to get to a higher level of playing chess. It was less about fun and game and figuring it out. It was more about learning the different openings and learning the different things. And that for me, I was never, ever good at learning things off by heart and it never appealed to me. So that's where I suppose I departed from the you know that that way of thinking and playing gotcha okay so you you worked as an actuary for an insurance company or so for anyone yeah. who doesn't actually know i guess I, I should say so um again you're not the first person to mention actuaries in the show, but, uh, new audience who knows so, uh, so are they they go out and they assess essentially what um what probabilities are and usually for the purposes of insurance companies to decide what the rate that they should charge based on the probability that whatever is being insured will or will not happen. Is exactly. I think it's fair and you could take it a step further to say that actuaries look at what look at predicting future trends and future behaviors based on analysis of past risk profiles, probabilities and all of that. So it really is, there's a lot of analysis in terms of unknowns and what, what does our past tell us about the future? How do we model that? What does it look like? So it's quite a complex field of, which, which really, really relates to modeling kind of future trends. And I think that's why it is exciting. There is something exciting about that. And it did attract me. And I always make the connection that you know, just as we don't know what's going to happen in future when it comes to numbers, disasters, lifetime, illness, whatever it is, same thing with human behavior. And I decided to go the human behavior route rather than the pricing, modeling, reserving route, which is the actuarial sign. So that was my move. I wanted to analyze human behavior and problem solve on that, on that you know, on that plane. So how, how long did you work in that field? So I worked in that field for, it was in different ways. So I did move around a little bit. I worked in corporate organizations for four years. I did, you know, make my way up quite quickly to director level at a consulting firm, which uh, specialized in healthcare services. So for me, I really think there was a theme of always going back to people and what can we do to help people? Because I went into the healthcare field, which was really about how do we design healthcare products that really help people get what they need when they are ill. And then I, I decided I needed more of the people element. So I went into academia and I lectured in actuarial science and statistics for about seven years. Um, in, in that time, I also did some consulting work on the side in my own business. 
And then from there, I decided that I wanted a career change completely because I felt that there was a gap, a gap in the leadership of organizations and in academia, same thing, where people were always driven to push people to get results, but forgetting that element of how do we really focus on people and develop them? How do we look at ourselves and our own behaviors and really become the leaders that we can be in order to get those results that we want to get? And what I find is that with experts, the focus is often on what do I know, how do I do it better, and how do I get the maximal results? And they forget about that personal development element or that leadership element, which I'm passionate about. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to change direction and make a difference in the leadership place because I always felt that that was missing when I was working in the corporate environment. Oh, oh no, that, that's great. Do you use the actuarial uh, education at all and what you do today? Do you find that it's <laughs> helpful or not at all? I do think that it was helpful for me and I don't know what came first, if it was my thinking or the actual training or maybe it's a combination, but I really think that my way of thinking, my way of analyzing, my way of being able to look to the future and connect the dots um, is definitely something that I learned through being an actuary because there's a big element of that in, in being an actuary. Um, like I said, I apply it now to people and where do you want to be and what kind of a leader do you want to be and what results do you want to get and look at those, look at who you are and try and determine kind of where you want to go from that space. Um, so kind of using that way of thinking, problem solving, analysis, but applying it to, to people ra rather than numbers. Okay, gotcha. So now this gets to where the heart of one of the things I'm always interested in, which is you have a good career. You're <laughs> well, right? Uh, you've got a consultancy on the side. I don't know if you're still working in a corporate setting at that point, but uh, let's barely say things are going well for, for, for Daphna. Yes, very well, very well. <laughs> and then you decide to blow the whole thing up because there <laughs> is something lacking in, exactly. in, in a connection. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you take us through that a little? Because I think a lot of people, you know, they are sitting in a job. Uh, maybe they're sitting at a cubicle. Maybe they're sitting in an office. Maybe they've done well or, or who knows what, but there's something tearing at them. That itch they can't quite scratch. Yeah. But the but there's a lot to do. I do I blow everything up to do, do I go and I and I and I change directions as radically as you did. Um, so can you take us? through the what was in your mind when you did that how like what what got you to to make that step yeah so i love what you say about the itch that you've got to scratch because throughout my actuarial career i had that itch there was something that as i said while i loved the intellectual stimulation and there was a lot of like great thinking going on there was an itch that i needed to scratch in fact i was scratching it but it was continuing to be itchy and that was the question of what next and i am i am an achievement or i'm a, I am a whatever super achiever achievement oriented person always looking for the what's next where do i want to grow where do i want to go is this what i want to be doing for the rest of my life and certainly in my career as an actuary i've always felt that there was no real role model that i wanted to oh yes one day i want to be like that person or one day i want to get to this place in the organization and for me, something there was so missing, but it took me many, many years to figure out what it was. Because as you said, 
things were going well. I was getting promotions, I was getting, earning a great salary, I um, had a beautiful family, a beautiful community. So things were going on the outside, things looked great, but there was just something that was making me question every morning, why am I doing this? Is this what I really want to do? Am I being ungrateful, you know, um, for what I have? Should I just accept it? Is this life, you know? Okay, so my career is not, I'm not loving it, but maybe that's what it is. I've got everything else is going pretty well and it is going well. So all these questions kept on going on in my mind and I didn't have a language for what I wanted to do. I knew it was in the people space, but I did not have a language for it. Coaching at that time was definitely not something that was very uh, common. And I looked at psychology and therapy, but like I say, I am a result-oriented oriented person. So I wanted something that was more working towards something than therapy, which in my mind was a more long-term, just kind of be where you're at and get the support and all of that, which I think has a very, very important place. I just didn't really think it suited my personality and what I wanted to do. So I was grappling that with that for years and years. It was a big, long search. I know for some people, when they hit on the career that they love, it happens quickly and they just go. And for some people, like me, it just takes many years to figure it out. And what happened to me, I think part of the transition out of the corporate world and into academia and being a lecturer was part of that process. Because when I was lecturing, I really felt like I was contributing in some way beyond just, you know, the work. Actually, the people contact and almost bringing up the next generation of actuaries was something very meaningful to me and building connections with the students. But I was questioning, so what's next and where is this going to take me? And then I had, I was pregnant with my third child. I, I had a boy and a girl at that stage and my my daughter, my third child was, you know, about to be born. And when she was born, I had major, major complications in the birth process. And I actually nearly lost my life. So it was a matter of three days where even the doctors had done everything. I'd lost massive amounts of blood. And, and I, I, I kept on, I had this condition called DIC, which is internal bleeding, which just continues to happen. And they couldn't stop this internal bleeding. So I was in and out of theater about three or four times in the first 24 hours, just trying to do whatever they can to actually save my life. I mean, at one point, they did come out to my family and said, listen, we've done everything that we can. Please just pray that that's, you know, we've basically wow. tried everything. Wow. And I really believe um, our community just came together in a, the most incredible way. You can just imagine a newborn baby. The mother is kind of not there, you know, not even sure if she'll make it. And everybody just pulled together in terms of taking on the baby, helping my family, my two other little children at home. My husband and my mother were, you know, in the hospital. They wouldn't leave for a minute. So everybody just pulled together in the most unbelievable way. And a lot of a lot of prayers, for sure, a lot of prayers. And I did pull through. Um, but coming out of an experience like that just made me rethink everything. You know, you know, it might sound a bit like a cliche, but it's true because I did come out of that experience. First of all, very grateful for my life. I knew even in the pro in the, the there were the critical three days after the birth. There were moments I was. I was totally out unconscious, but there were moments that I was a little bit conscious and I knew that I was dying. 
So I, even in myself, I didn't know if I would make it. And I remember having a whole lot of thoughts and feelings about that. Um, so coming out of that experience, I just felt incredibly grateful for being alive. And when you, you go through this honeymoon phase and then when you finish that, you go, okay, I did have moments of anger because I was left with a whole lot of complications and still the recovery process was quite long. So it was like, why did this have to happen to me and all of that? And then I went through reflection, just thinking about what does this all mean? You know, what is this about? There's something I've got to learn from this or I want to learn from this. I don't want to go through something like that and just carry on as if life is as normal and a big catalyst for me was that in that time when I was critically ill my husband phoned my workplace which was the university at the time and he told them what had happened and he said you know she's still not I mean obviously it was after the three days and, and I was more stable but he said you know she's not well whatever so they sent a bunch of flowers and basically phoned me a week later and said when are you coming back to work and yeah. then I realized, <laughs> I realized, okay, work is not the be all and end all. And, you know, if this is the regard, it's kind of like, I felt so much like a workhorse, you know, this is what we need from you. So when can you come back? Cause, and they didn't say it like they said, well, will this impact? Because I was on maternity leave anyway. It wasn't like I was coming back to work the next week. But it was like, will this impact when she comes back to work? And I thought, really? Like, that's the thing you're thinking about? So for me, that was a big catalyst in terms of saying, okay, what is work? And can I make work meaningful? Can I make it joy and something I really love to and want to do? And that's where I started my journey of, okay, I'm looking right. for something different. I'm not in the right place. Uh, that's... That, um... I, I don't mean to compare anyone's story to anyone else's, but it does remind me of a of a episode from a long time ago, uh, and um, a guy named Chris Ruddick, and he talked about working for a large company, and they were relocating people, or they were relocating parts of their operation, and the way that he went into a meeting and they talked about moving people was as though they were the computers, as though you were packing up the furniture and moving them. And he said, well, when are you going to talk to the people and see if they want to take the transfer to this new city in a new new part of the, you know, a different part of the country? It's not like the U.S. It's small. Um, you know, you're moving people, you know, you're moving a job hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. And and they said, oh, no, yeah. the people are going to follow the jobs. You know, why wouldn't they kind of thing? And he said, because people you're up, <laughs> uprooting people's lives. But he said the company really thought of the people as um you know, as they thought about their computers, about their physical, the, the, the office furniture. Yeah. And that's not how yeah. you think about people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. So, um, um, first of all, just to, to, to clarify, because we don't use the video, but everything's well, you recovered fully. <laughs> 100% recovered and found my joyful, purposeful work. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so did you ever go back to the university or did you literally never even go back there? No, no, no. I did go back because I worked back my maternity leave. So I didn't want to, I would have had to pay back if, you know, whatever it was. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go back for the minimum amount of time, but I'd already decided that I'm not, um, you know, not staying. So I had six months maternity leave, had to work back six months, and then I gave my notice and was out of there. God. And then I took a year off because I didn't know what I wanted to do. That's what I was going to get to next. Yeah. How, did, how did you move from 
um, okay, I, I know I want to do something different. And I think I'm getting, you knew you wanted to connect with people. Yes. Yes. Right. So then I, anything. yeah, yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then it's interesting how things happen because when you're clear on your intention, things start shifting around you to point you in the right direction. And I fully believe that both from our own life and from the lives of the people that I work with. Um, but I decided I'm working back my maternity leave and resigning. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do next. And I resigned, took the time off, thankfully, very supportive husband who said to me, you know, take the time that you need, figure things out and, and you know, we'll work through it. And actually, as soon as I had left, all of a sudden things started coming into my space that were relevant. So I met someone through someone who said, oh, you know, um, have you heard of this thing called coaching? I know someone who just did a course. So I said, no, let me speak to them spoke to them, they told me about this course, this was a whole new world that had opened up for me. And I read, signed up for a course. And that was it. At the, the, the minute I started, I felt so connected, so aligned, and I knew this was what I was meant to do. And I remember finishing this course, having a couple of clients just starting out, and feeling so on fire, really, with the knowledge that this feels like what I was meant to do. This feels like what I was born to do. And then for me, the mission became to actually work in the corporate environment and really infuse the workplace with a sense of meaning and leadership so that it can be a different way of working rather than just like what I had experienced. Wow. So there's just the, the, the moon and the stars start lining up for you a little bit. Exactly. 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 And I'll say this was after a long time of really not like really not knowing, having a sense of I want something else, but having no idea what it was about. But when I had backed that decision, when I said, okay, I'm stopping what I'm doing in order to discover the next thing, things started lining up. And I think it's about that. You don't have to leave your work. You don't have to. But when you make that decision and you start pointing your brain in a different direction, then things start coming into your space that you can work with and investigate and explore. And it's one step leads to another. And I heard something really great, which I think is such a good tip for anybody who might find themselves in, in a similar position. And that is follow the path of curiosity. If there's something that is making you curious, look at it, investigate, speak to people and go find out more. So um, that's what I wanted to get to when you said something about about intention and intentionality. Uh, so that um, when what you're really talking about, I mean, you can be curiosity, but when you found when you started to, uh, is this fair? Define? Um, did you define in your mind the? I don't mean the specifics of I'm going to be a coach. A coach, yeah. Know that, but you you did define something. I want to work with people, or I I, I mean, the, there was some intention to your thought process at that point. Yes, that, absolutely. Right? So there was an intention of changing direction of career, making sure that it's something that's more to do with people and meaning and purpose, and yeah, and and that was the level of intentionality. 
Um, and then you opened yourself up to opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and saying yes, speaking to people, finding out more, you know, all of those things. I think today it's so much easier because we've got the internet. I didn't even really have internet at that time. I mean, it was all very, very new. Um, I mean, this was 15 years ago. So very, I mean, I think definitely, the, I mean, I remember for sure we had emails and that, but we didn't use internet the way that we use it today. There definitely wasn't social media in the way that someone mentioned something and you can just, you know, you start the whole surfing story. So it was more, you know, it was more about speaking to people and getting ideas and input. And we had these info evenings for different things. So yeah, just following that route, following that path. And you also said about saying yes. Is that something that that you do? Do you do you say yes to new opportunities or new challenges? Yes. As a regular thing? Yes. I yes. definitely do. <laughs> yes. I'm a big yes person, which I think over the you know, the last few years, I think when you're building up your business, you actually have to start saying a lot more no. Much easier for me to say yes than no. But when a challenge comes up, when a new, interesting, exciting opportunity comes up, I say yes to it. I mean, that was an, another example was climbing Kilimanjaro, which I did um, when it, I think that was about seven, eight years ago. Um, and that was also just something that an idea that came up. And I said, well, if that's happening, I'm going. I'm part of the team. So, yeah, definitely. Anything that's a challenge and an interesting opportunity, I will say yes to it. <laughs> Hang on. You you need to you can't you can't dismiss climbing Kilimanjaro in three in three sentences. <laughs> Sorry, but you can't. So, um, what and why yeah. and how and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Give, give us a little give us a little backstory to that one. A little backstory. Okay, firstly, understand right. I've I've explained already. I was an actuary. I'm a maths nerd. I was never sporty, and that was like climbing mountains was certainly not ever part of my life plan, right? Um, but I was sitting with a client one day who said to me, one of his dreams is to climb Kilimanjaro. And I said, climb Kilimanjaro? How is that possible? Don't you have to be like a mountain climber and have all this uh, skills and stuff? And he said, no, actually Kilimanjaro is the one mountain that you can climb without mountaineering skills. It's a, it's a strenuous hike. It's tough, but you don't need ropes and all of that. So I thought the minute someone says this is like a challenge that I could take on, well then I'm interested. And the seed was planted. And a couple of years later, yeah, I was advising actually for a nonprofit organization on their strategy and they were looking at some fundraising ideas. And I kind of said, well, what about doing something really radical like climbing Kilimanjaro? So the woman who was the head of that division said, yes, let's do it. So I said, well, if you're doing it, I'm joining the team who's climbing. And, and that's how that happened. <laughs> it was the one of the hardest things I've ever, ever done. It was really, really, really tough. Um, so did, but very, very it, so you don't have to be a you don't have to be a mountaineer. You don't have to have um, rope climbing, rope climbing no. experiences, but technical. It, you don't need technical experience. Yeah. But you did you have to train you trained for it? Yes, yes, definitely trained for it. That's when I thought again, being a completely non-sporty person, never really sticking to any kind of exercise routine, that's when I started running. Uh, and since then I've even run a half marathon so far. So I can definitely and you know you've seen my medals. 
as you gotcha. Will. <laughs> but yes, you do have to train uh, yeah, for so it. We, we've talked about we talked, talked about, about that. <laughs> so, um, so your um, um, so you did this. By the way, in all this time, because I know we also have to talk about the fact that you picked up and moved countries. Um, but, <laughs> oh yes, uh, but. You know, so so uh, because today, as I'm talking to you, you're in Israel. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and I am in uh, in the United States, but um, you grew up in you. I mean, I, I made an assumption and I shouldn't have assumed, but I because when you were talking about South Africa and about school and everything else, so you grew up in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Grew up in South Africa. Your accent yeah. gives it away a little too. Um, <laughs> little a little bit. But then, um, when when was the move and why was the move and how did that how did that factor into this whole? whole thing and maybe you lived somewhere else in between i don't know yeah i did actually <laughs> so i think uh, my parents probably were adventurers as well a little bit and that maybe that's where i've got that adventurous spirit from but they they lived in different countries as well so we lived in the uk for oh i was born in israel let's start with that i was born in israel actually my parents are israeli uh, but over my life, they decided to live in different countries for the experience. So there was the UK for two years and there was South Africa for eight years. And then we actually came back to Israel for a short stint and then back to South Africa for whatever reasons, a whole lot of stuff. They decided to stay there and that's where we stayed and that's where we lived. And in the meantime, that all my family, my parents, I've got a brother and a sister, had all come back to live in Israel. And I was in South Africa, married to a South African with three beautiful children. Um, not really, you know, wanting to leave because South Africa is an amazing country. Have you visited? I, I've been there several, no, more than several, a, a lot of yeah. times. <laughs> Mo- beautiful country, four, right? right? I, I, I was actually a quite, uh, quick aside, but I... Um, was supposed to go uh, last um, winter. We were supposed to go as a family trip with um, my mom and my family and um, my sister and her family. And we were all going to South Africa because my mom wanted to go and basically bring her grandchildren. I don't think she cared mm. about me. <laughs> it was about the grandchildren. Like, and, of so course. This, and so there's this plan and I was very much looking forward to it. Uh, she wound up getting hurt. So we delayed the trip to last summer. We all know what happened this past summer. No one was going anywhere. So yeah. the trip is still tentative. The trip is still on hold at the moment. But all of my travels have been to places like uh, um, Durban and to Johannesburg and have all been for work purposes. Okay. Uh, I, I was... I went to Cape Town very briefly once for a meeting, but I was very much looking forward to a much um, broader um, uh, vacation type experience, which would be very different than than yeah. work experience. Although I, I think, um, and I, I can't say I really know Johannesburg very well. I, I, I certainly spent a lot of time in Durban and I've, and I've enjoyed getting to see Durban. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, so South Africa has got the every place you've made. Johannesburg has its own flavor. Durban has its own flavor with the south coast going down magnificent. Um, and then Cape Town and the whole of the whatever, the garden route and, and all of the, the all the different parts of the Cape. Amazing. So really, really. And then there's Kruger Park and there's lots to visit. And it's just a where did you live? Country. We lived in Johannesburg. Gotcha. OK, yeah, just, just get, yeah. getting getting full story. Uh, yeah. So in, in fairness, although, you know, so Kilimanjaro is definitely is the feat to begin with, but at least you weren't like 
Tanzania is not that far away. You know? <laughs> I, I, I suppose I think, not. Oh, I mean, compared to like where my mind is, I'm going, you know, you know it's just, it's that uh, other piece. Right? So far, so far. Yeah, exactly. You know, Tanzania is right next door, practically. Right next door. I'm not, I'm not diminishing what your accomplishment because I think that's amazing. So I, I'm just teasing. Thank you. No, I get it. Oh. Africa is Africa. But I will say, I mean, there wasn't even a di direct flight from Johannesburg. We had to fly through Kenya. So not okay. that close. Not, not that, that close. close. Okay. So, um, you, uh, at, for family purposes, pick up, come back, come, come to Israel. Um, but oh, yeah, one nice right. thing, your business, when you started this whole business, you were still in South Africa. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so a benefit, uh, well, maybe a benefit, but is it a challenge to pick up your business and, and, and move countries with it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, the thing that made it possible in my mind, because I think often it's really about mindset, was when I realized that I don't have to close and shut down everything in South Africa and open up from the beginning. So the, as soon as I made this, it's purely a mindset shift. And I started talking about it and telling people that I'm opening a global business, then everything changed because it's global and because we have virtual uh, options in terms of continuing a business that started up in a different location. So my business is still very much existing and running in South Africa. I've got a great clientele, client base there. I've opened up in Israel, got a great client base here, and it's opened up the whole world. So I'm involved in global projects and coaching people all over the world with my team of coaches who are global. So it's just once I expanded my mindset in that way, my business expanded in the same way as well. So it's really wonderful. No, and that's so that's again back to this question of, of, of intention a little bit because mm -hmm. I because I, I think it you know you open you just the way you reframed it. No, yes. I didn't pick up and move my business, I expanded my business, I became global. I didn't go from being a South African business to a to an Israeli business. Exactly. Exactly. And that made all the difference because it's a it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to have built up a business in a certain place and you've got a good and I did. I had a great reputation. I was known. I was making my mark. And then all of a sudden having to leave and go somewhere else and start from zero because you're just an unknown in the new place. That's scary enough. But if you see it as that way, stopping something, one thing and starting something else, to me, that was it was actually too difficult to contemplate. And so with that reframe, it was like, hey, I'm just expanding. I'm not stopping anything. I'm actually just getting bigger, yep. which was exciting at that point, you know. Do you, uh, I'm shifting gears a little bit, but, mm. I'm, but I'm curious because, um, so you, you touched on the fact that you, that you have three kids. Your kids were born while you still, I mean, your last child is born right when this whole thing then develops thereafter. Right. How have you found the dual role of being a parent and building building your empire yeah <laughs> yeah it's a it's a it's a good 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 question and i think it's uh, something that is very present in my life and i think many people's lives um always so i think for me the value around career and the value around family 
have always been two very, very strong values. And it's always about how do you manage both because they're both important to me. I think it was clear to me always that family comes first, but that there's a rhythm to it. So when I, when I actually, when I talk about balance and work-life balance, I actually talk about rhythm a lot more than balance. Because when you think about balance, it feels like everything has to be balanced out at the same time and more or less equal and find a, kind of try and take from something to put somewhere else. And that just doesn't feel very flowing to me. But when I think about rhythm, I think about sometimes your career demands more of you and you're going to have to put more time there. And sometimes your family demands more of you and you need to put your time and energy there. So if you go with the rhythm of it and try and work out where the rhythm is the most balanced, then you, but at least for me, that's what worked for me to think about it more like that. And yes, there were times when my career took up a lot more time and energy and times that my family did. And it's just about being aware of that. What is the right thing for that time and that place? And yes, there were things I needed to give up on in terms of career because my family needed me, my kids were small, whatever it was. And sometimes the other way around and that's okay. But I feel that it's something that is, I'm conscious about all the time. And, and yeah, and it seems to have worked out well because, you know, both are important to me and, and I've just done my best to make sure that I've been able to be in that rhythm. Is it, and I, and I, I want to be fair because maybe it is giving up something. You said, you know, you have to give up something for the, the, the balance, but, um, I unpack words too a little bit. So (laughs) I, you make choices. You our choices, choices, but our choices necessarily. I mean, yes, at some level, you all want to have it all and to eat our cake too, and we often can't. Where, mm-hmm. but that's also because there's only so many hours in the day. There were only so many, you know. There's only so many places. You know, maybe you'd like to spend your life climbing um, mountains now that you've climbed Kilimanjaro. Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, got the T-shirt. Thank you very much. Moving right along. <laughs> but, you get my point, right? Yeah, I get your point. I get your point. <laughs> so, how you how you um, uh, how you frame those decisions, and maybe about how you, and I'm curious because you're a very smart person, and I and I appreciate your insight to things. So, when you make those choices, when you when you're looking for the balance, how what does that analysis look like? Like, is the okay if I don't my child is going to have a recital and I don't want to miss that. But if I, but if I don't go to the recital, then I have the opportunity to meet this person who I might not otherwise ever get a chance to meet. I, that's a real simple expl- example. hundred percent. Right? And it's, it happens over and over. You know? <laughs> sure. And you can probably find examples that have a lot of zeros attached to them and other things, but <laughs> how, how do you do that analysis? Exactly. So I think, I think it's such a good question, even putting it in that nuts and bolts of when you need to make, need to make one choice against another. And I really think that's where I'm saying that rhythm comes in because in some cases you will choose the meeting over the recital. And in other cases you will choose the recital over the meeting. And for me, it comes down to a few things. And the key things that come to mind is number one, being very strong within yourself. So knowing at your core, what's important for you right now, what's important for your family, what would be the right decision or the right choice at this point in time. 
another thing that I think is really important is maybe just a sense of faith and belief, both in yourself and in the universe or whatever it is that you want to call it, that if an opportunity is meant to be, it will come in some way or another. So if you've decided in that moment to go to the recital and missed out on a big business opportunity, something else will come because you believe 100% in your own ability in what you're doing and why you're making the decision that you're making. And um, what else? I think those are two very strong. Oh, and the third thing, of course, is having a very good support system. So whatever that looks like for you. For me, it was my husband who is just incredible. So we've always been partners in this journey of life, career and parenting. And if I couldn't be there for something, he would often be there or and vice versa. So we really shared that out um, quite well in terms of family responsibilities, being there for the children and, and taking on the roles equally. So really being in partnership in terms of that. No, that's, that's, um, that's good and that's important. I do think that that becomes for a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs out there these are these are some of the struggles they have right how do i how do i do it all how do i balance it all how do i mean you know um you hear that time and time again and yeah and you hear them and you and um it may be that often the brunt of those those family raising decisions are 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 still unfortunately some somewhat on the woman more so although that's there's no good reason for that, right? Uh, but um, mm -hmm. uh, I think it does occur on both sides of those for the decision making, whether whether the person is uh, the entrepreneur, if you will, is a, is a man or a woman in any given case. Uh, they're still a parent, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And and I, and I, I've always, I mean, again, I, I just feel very blessed in this way, in that my husband and I have always been in partnership over this. And I remember also reading somewhere once that. You know, the approach is when the husband does something uh, that's got to do with the children's life. Oh, that's amazing. So your husband really helps out. And then you go, but hold on a sec. Are they not his kids too? Like, what is this? Him helping me? Seriously? Are we not in this together? Are you kidding? <laughs> Very true. So for us, it was never like that. It wasn't him helping me. It's actually here we have a week of crazy career schedule, some children activities, how do we manage it? Let's split our time. Let's see where we each you know, come in and, and do what we need to do. Right. No, and, and, and trying, trying to uh, do it all. So yeah. let's, let's talk about your coaching for a moment because we've, uh, we've talked around it, but what is the type of coaching and, uh, that you do and that you lead an organization of people who do? Yeah. So if I look at me, my coaching, my, I will, into, when I take on a coaching client, it's, I'm a CEO coach. So I will coach CEOs to be the leaders that they need to be in order to lead themselves, their people and their business to whatever level of success that they want to be at. Or want to be at. And that is the, the whole picture because it starts with looking at who you are. It's continues with understanding that to get what you want to get out of your business you really need to understand that it's about the people that you're employing and and leading and then finally of course to know where you want the business to go and, and how you want to get there 
Then if we look at the CEO, we've got the supporting or the pipeline of leaders and talent and high potential um, people under him or her who are going to help support that CEO in what they need to do and lead the business into the future. So my team of coaches come in there. We take the high potential, talented individuals who are in the organization and seen as future leaders, and we create that support system for the whole business to really be a sustainable business into the future. And that's what my passion is because business is about people at the end of the day. And if you're really gonna know how to lead yourself and lead your people in the right way, you're going to create a sustainable business. That's the focus of my my company and you know where, where I get involved myself. Gotcha. And What's, what, what yeah. was that has the business morphed into you I mean I'm starting at the end that you've defined what you are today, but is that yeah. has that always been the coaching business or did it develop into that? Definitely developed into that. So I think, you know, for a long time I was a solopreneur who kind of did all the work myself and you know <laughs> built it up but i think that you need to go through that process to understand where you want to be eventually and what role you want to play and where you want to grow yourself and your business into so yeah so it's been an evolving journey in the evolving journey and how and how many years now 15 15 yeah 15 years that's that's yeah. that's, that's amazing um for people who are thinking about getting out there and uh um, maybe either starting their own business are, are there and maybe they're not ready for a coach or uh, maybe they are uh, in coaching but is there a, is there a book or a resource that you tend to tell them to go and pay attention to or to read do you say hey before you start read this one first <laughs> uh, I'm such a big reader and for me uh, it tends to be much more individualized. So when I meet someone and I say, I understand more about where they're at and where they want to go, there's like so many books out there that are excellent. Um, so I tend to be more kind of, what's the word, customized or individualized in my book recommendations. But there are a few that I think are just incredible. I mean, one that I do recommend is the two books by Simon Sinek, who I absolutely love, Start With Why and Leaders Eat Last, both excellent, excellent books. A profound classic for anybody who's looking to do some uh, self-development work and self-awareness work is Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul, which is absolutely amazing. And then, of course, for developing good, strong leadership habits is my newly launched book. <laughs> Got to give that a plug. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I honestly had no idea you had a book. Okay. Uh, two. I've got two books. <laughs> you got to both of them. <laughs> so the first one is called Courage to Lead. And that one I wrote after I climbed Kilimanjaro because that whole experience was such a such a life-changing profound experience for me and a tough experience and i saw the leadership metaphors all along the way so courage to lead is about my climb stories of my climb which i include with leadership lessons so that whole metaphor of climbing the mountain and being a leader and the second book which i've just recently launched uh, a couple of months ago and the kindle version is coming out in january is weekly habits for extraordinary leaders and that is really about understanding three things about leadership one is that leadership is a verb it's about what you do and how you show up okay 
Two is that leadership is a habit. Just doing consistent, simple, regular things can help you develop your leadership skills over time. And three is that leadership is for everybody. We don't, I don't believe in associating leadership with a title or having to be at the top of some big organization. You are a leader, whether you are the CEO or not, whether you are um, a mom, a stay-at-home mom, or whether you are, whatever it is that you're doing, there are areas in your life where you are a leader, leader and you can always show leadership. And that's really important because if each of us show leadership in our lives, in whatever area that we are passionate about or want to take a stand about or have a voice in, then I think the world will look quite different and we, we just need the opportunity to step into that. So, so that's what my second book is about. And, it, and you said the Kindle version comes out in January, which will probably tie nicely to when this episode is released. So and you've added to, um, to my own now bookshelf of new things to, to read. <laughs> Thank um, you. And there will be um, links to all of the titles that Daphne said, of course, in, um, in the uh, episode. So you're a big reader. What are you reading now? Mm. <laughs> I've got a few books that are out and open at the moment. Always, always a few books at once. Um, what have I got at the moment? Um, I'm reading actually uh, Ask and It Is Given, which is maybe a little bit controversial for some of the listeners. It's an it's a Law of Attraction book by Esther and Abraham Hicks. I don't know if you've heard about them, nope. but uh, really, really good read actually. And it is about the power of intention. So how you put stuff out and what the world or the universe universe brings back to you. Just finished the book Factfulness by Hans Rosling, which is phenomenal and for the period that we're going through now it really is about are we really listening to the data are we really looking 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 at the data when we make decisions because he shows in this book 10 biases that people tend to have in terms of when they interpret certain things that are happening in the world and Hans Rosling actually died a few years back and I'm just you know firstly loved the book but also I wish he was around to just give us his commentary in terms of this pandemic that we're going through at the moment. So that one I've just finished. And I've just started a new book that was recommended to me. It's a fiction book by Stephen Fry. Um, and I'll see how that one goes. So yeah, so that's what do, I'm reading. Do you balance the fiction and the nonfiction? So yeah, I do. Fiction for me is a break just to clear my mind. Um, nonfiction is just for my development always. So I like to have a fiction book every so often. What tends to happen is if I'm starting a fiction book, then I'll tend to kind of be completely immersed in it and usually can't put it down. So I have to balance those out a little bit. I don't, that's like a treat. <laughs> no, I get that, that. That's the binge watching. Yeah, exactly. The binge watching. Exactly. The binge reading. <laughs> yeah, what I are you it. reading, Mark? Oh, what am I reading? I just finished and, and I, I, talking in social media posts about what reading at any given time. So we just finished um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Okay. Who, uh, is a Navy SEAL who had a really horrific, or he wasn't a Navy SEAL, but it was a horrific uh, childhood. Um, and, but he is, a, he is, he is a, an unstoppable force in and of himself and a very interesting, um, interesting read uh, hmm. for sure. I think he may harness um his anger 
uh, a little bit, and I'm not sure he shouldn't find better ways to let some of it go. But that's perhaps just my interpretation of things. But okay. certainly uh, a very impressive specimen of a person who does not take on a challenge he doesn't complete, no matter how extreme the challenge may be. And that's wow. very, very interesting. And then I just read a, a very old, I tend to go back and read sort of the old, old classics, if you will. And there was a book that I had heard that I had heard was um, the book that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett bonded over uh, called Business Adventures. Mm. And it was, I think, written in it's a series of New Yorker articles from the 1960s that were put into a book um, wow. about sort of uh, cautionary tales of business in the 1950s and 1960s. Nice. Uh, but it was the book that the two of them bonded over. And I said, uh, oh, that's, mm-hmm. hey, that's, a, that's a good, uh, you know, recommendation in and of itself. And so I just finished that mm. and I'm about to reread uh, a book. Do you ever hear of a book called Delivering Happiness? Oh, of course. Oh, my gosh. And I felt Mm. that because Tony Shea died a couple of weeks ago, I should pull that one out and read it. Yeah. For that purpose. Um, uh, Yeah, that's also one of my favorites. And then I'll end. Oh, is it? Yeah. And also just very sad about Tony Shea and the story, you know, that firstly that he died and how, how he came to the end of his life. A little bit sad, but I still think he's an icon in terms of really being able to connect that absolute success from a, you know, bottom line point of view with building a company and a culture that people want to work for. And that's very values based. And I think that's the legacy he's left for us in this world. Oh, I think absolutely. That's that's very true. Yeah, I, I too uh, find my way from time to time into fiction, and then I can't put it down. But I, have to, <laughs> I, 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 and there's a stack of fiction that I haven't gotten to. So I tend to, um, I tend to read books. Yes, as you said, sometimes for, for pleasure, but I also read fiction, especially in two ways. I pick, um, I guess, what I'd call easy fiction. Um, the junk novel, whatever right, you want to call it, right, the, right. Know, the, like, like the true binge watching thing. And then I'll put yeah. books by diff, what I would call for me, at least difficult authors, um, books that a can make you think, but B you might need to have a dictionary by your side <laughs> because the, the, the words are chosen with such intentionality in the words that were chosen in the book. But, um, and that doesn't as often happen in business books. It does. I actually was thinking about you and, um, actuary and it may the first thing i thought of when i thought of it is um uh nasim taleb oh okay because yes. i think he was an actuary first mm, I, I believe he was so oh. uh you know he the guy who wrote the um black swan um but I think he, I, I believe he was an actuary. I don't know why that's in my head that way. And so, <laughs> but I was like, that was a book that took me some time that I had to really think through, yes. um, yeah. you know. Uh, it's like, I also really enjoy um, books like, and you probably have read um, uh, Yuval Harari, mm, like yes. uh, Sapiens and those books. Yes, um, yeah. They're, they're books that, those are books that actually make you think a little bit. Exactly. And they, they take long to read. I actually try to, I do listen to books as well, especially when I'm running and I try to listen to his book, but, or, or uh, Sapiens was the one, but I realized there are some books you can't listen to. You actually have to read the book and, and have it in front of you and kind of see the words as you're reading them. So, gotcha. so yeah. actually, so can't hurt me. 
I read or I was reading and then someone uh, and then um, Kisha, who was doing my 31 minutes podcast with me, told me she was listening to it. And it was different because what he did was he had a ghostwriter who had worked with him and who was reading the book. But then they would break away from the book and it would go more towards like a podcast oh. where they would talk about the last chapter. I love it. So if you're looking for something, um, it's, a, you know, I thought it was a bit like Malcolm Gladwell's um, the audio yes. version of talking with strangers. He didn't exactly just put the book out there. He put the book out there enhanced with more things than the audio that's version. That's awesome. I love it. I think that's such a great idea, actually. I think it's wonderful. So that might give yeah. you a couple of a couple of audio ones to to, to oh, check out. Cool. Yeah, I'd love that. Anyway, so Daphna, how if people want to know more about you, how can they find you? Thank you. Well, the main place is my website, uh, DaphnaHorovitz.com. And then, of course, on social media, I'm active on LinkedIn mainly. So feel free to connect, connect through my website. Always happy to hear from listeners. And if anybody has any questions or conversation is my thing, I say conversation is the tool of leadership. So anyone who's up for a conversation also on my podcast, check that out. Very happy to be part of that. Excellent. Thank you. And so I should close by going back to where we started and ask you, so now did I make that conversation um, deeper and more and more personal? Uh, <laughs> you know that as a coach, I'm going to turn that around on you and say, well, what do you think? What do you think? And then I promise I'll give you my answer as well. <laughs> no, yes, I um, it's the same reason why I didn't know that you I, I didn't do my research uh, purposefully. I didn't I didn't find out that you had written these books. Um, something I may have traditionally done, but that would formulate our conversation more. And I want the conversations to come out more mm. like if I met you for the first time at, you know, some event or something. And yeah. so I think I got to know Daphna a whole lot more. And thank you. that was the purpose of the, of what we were doing. And, and thank you. And I think we definitely did touch on some deeper elements of who Daphna is. So I appreciate that opportunity. Excellent. Thank you so much. And um, I look forward to, to talking to you. And please come back anytime on the show. Thank you, Mark. Wonderful, wonderful to connect with you always. So that was my conversation with Daphna Horowitz. I hope you uh, learned something uh, about her and about her style of coaching and picked up a few tidbits that you can use, even if you're just thinking about reinventing your own life and not sure where to go next. Uh, Daphne's story can be quite um, inspirational and useful. Um, as always, please check out the show notes. Uh, there was a lot of books thrown about there in the uh, latter part of the episode, and of course there are links to all of them. And uh, as always, thank you so much for your ongoing support. Please subscribe wherever you get podcasts, and please be sure to rate us and comment too. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon.